A listener's note. Some episodes of this podcast include discussion of death and other traumatic experiences. Please use discretion when listening and take good care of yourself. A 2022 psychology study showed that people often underestimate the power of reaching out to others. Small gestures like sending a text message, making a phone call, or mailing a handwritten note have a big impact on the people you're contacting. Mary Hollis understands the value when she calls members of her Next Chapter Widows community. Well, I spend a lot of time just picking up the telephone sometimes and say, I'm checking on you. How are you doing today? Whenever I call them, they said, you just don't know how much that call, you, this call means to me because I was really at a low point. I was really feeling um, very emotional and alone. And when you called me, it meant so much to me. Mary knows what her widows are going through because she's been there. And she learned just how much connecting with others meant thanks in part to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. I was first introduced um, to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation uh, the year after my husband passed in 1992. It is, it is so important um, to have that support because sometimes you're feeling alone, that no one cares, and the emotions that you keep coming up with is that from time to time you remember something about your, your spouse or a song or anything, just to know that someone cares um, and their family and friends, but the foundation just, it, it just makes all the difference. She learned the significance of these connections when she received the first remembrance card from the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Director of Family Programs, Bev Donlin, has this to say. On the anniversary of the death of the, fall, of the firefighter, the family members receive a card of remembrance written by another family member who has lost a firefighter. So true to our word, you know, we are never going to forget those firefighters. It's important for families to know that someone's thinking about them and most importantly, remembering their firefighter. And for the first time when I start receiving these cards, I just knew that it was true what they said, that they are always there for their family. Grief specialist Jenny Woodall explains it this way. I think it's nice for people to have something tangible that they can hold in their hands. And so receiving a handwritten card is something that you can put aside if you're too overwhelmed to deal with it and then come back to as needed to remind you that someone was thinking of you on the anniversary of your loved one's death. Alfornia Al Hollis was a career firefighter and truck operator for Atlanta Fire and Rescue. He was with the fire department for 24 and a half years. Mary knew something was wrong when Al was late coming home from an overnight shift on June 9, 1991. It was a Sunday morning, 7.30 on a Sunday morning, and he was supposed to be getting off at 7 a.m. And, and there was a knock on the door, and it was three firefighters from, his fire, from the station that he worked. When I opened up the door, they told me that Al had just recently had a heart attack. And he, they wanted to take me to the fire, um, to the hospital. And I went upstairs to get the kids ready. I couldn't seem to get the kids ready. I just couldn't seem to get the clothes uh, together to put on them. I just, I was so, my, my nerves were getting the best of me. 
And all of a sudden, the um, one of the firefighters said, um, do you need some help? I said, no, I'm okay. I'll, I'll be all right. And they said, maybe you need to call someone. And I said, uh, I'll call my girlfriend. And my girlfriend came and, and got the kids. And then we went on to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, I saw all of these firefighters there, standing there, looking at me. And I knew something bad had happened. During the time when I was at the hospital, um, they they sent a chap, the chaplain of the fire department in, and they told me that he had just had a heart attack. He never had symptoms of anything. So it was very confusing that he had a heart attack. He had just came back from a fire, and he was getting ready to get off at 7 a.m. And uh, he was in another room by himself, and they found him. They tried to revive him, but and they took him to the hospital, um, but they couldn't revive him, he, and he died there at the hospital. At that time, I started screaming, and I wanted, I said, I wanted to see Al. I wanted to see my husband. So they took me to the room where he was, and I, I just kept, I started pushing on him. Wake up. Open up your eyes, Al. Open up your eyes. And I was just screaming hysterically because I didn't want to believe that he was gone. Al Hollis was 44 when he died. He left behind Mary and two children, Alexia and Alan. More than 200 firefighters attended his funeral. It was hard for me because I was only married to my husband for six years. So it was very difficult to to deal with this because so soon in my life, in uh, in my marriage, and now I had two little kids to take care of. But one thing special that happened my husband was the driver of the, uh, of, for that station. And they wanted his casket to be on top of the, the fire truck that he drove. So what they did, they built a box so the casket would not fall off. And there were several of his close friends that did this. And that was so special to me that they, they showed their love by making sure that their, his body was secured on that fire truck. Just just thinking about it now and and talking about it and knowing how special it was on that day, what they did, and having his, his, his truck that he, the fire truck that he drove to put his casket on top of there, that was special, very special to us. The fire service is steeped in tradition and rituals that bind that community together and really define it. And those traditions become very important to families of firefighters who die in the line of duty. They have very specific ways of marking those deaths, honoring those deaths, and continuing to remember those people who they lost. I know we talked in the previous season about how the fire service is like a second family and That family does a really wonderful job of remembering its people, taking care of its own people. And it's a way of keeping surviving families as part of that family. With Al's funeral services behind her, Mary devoted herself more than ever to her kids and her career in banking. It was important for me to be strong because I know they needed a strong mother to get through. They didn't know their father, um, Long, Alexia remembered some of um, 
little things about um, her father because she was four years old. Al, uh, Alan didn't remember anything because he was only 10 months old. I went back to work several uh, weeks later, went back to work a little bit too early. And I would drop them off at the daycare and I would cry all the way down the expressway to work. And when I got off from work, I would cry all the way back to the daycare. And those people on the expressway probably thought I was crazy or, or wondered what was wrong with me because I would always have tears running down my eyes. I loved Mary's description of crying on the freeway on her way to and from picking kids up and going to work and all of that. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to this. Some people are criers. Some people aren't. Some people are comfortable crying and expressing sadness in front of others, and some like to keep it more private. I don't think it's unhealthy to compartmentalize grief in that way. It's okay if it works for you to do that in the shower or in the car. But I will say this. If you're trying to stop yourself from crying altogether when you really need the release of that, that's not particularly healthy or beneficial. Trying to keep emotions completely under wraps tends to complicate things. But we still have choices about how and when we express our emotions. And I think people find the way that works for them. I also think we do want to be mindful around children. On the one hand, we want to model for them that sadness and crying are normal and healthy. We want them to know that we are also sad and that they can express their sadness with us, that we are a safe place for that. On the other hand, it might be scary for children to see their adults crying uncontrollably. And I think we have to find the balance that works for our particular situation. I didn't grieve at home because I was so busy with them, getting them ready, um, um, feeding them, getting them ready for school the next day, and just different activities that they were in. So I didn't have time, and when I did go to bed, I was so exhausted, so I did go to sleep. So pretty much the expressway was my grieving time. Thinking about the situation and just pouring my heart out back and forth from work to daycare. But one day, my tears dried up, and I felt better. I didn't forget, but I felt better after a while. Mary says she also felt better because she had a support system keeping her engaged and connected. I had such a, a wonderful, you know, large village a support system. My friends, my neighbors, Al meant a lot to them. So they wanted to be there for us, and they were my church community. I had so many people and also the foundation. They have been a great, uh, like a surrogate family to me and my children. They gave us the hope for tomorrow and also ways to cope with the grief, uh, the grief process. But Mary discovered that not everyone had the same social connections and support systems to deal with their loss. In the first six months following Al's death, she met many customers who were widows in her job at the bank. They were talking about their banking, and then all of a sudden they would start talking about that they had just lost their husband. And it seemed like this continued on for months within that six months period. I kept getting these people coming to my desk talking about they just lost their spouse. And I would start encouraging them. And I told them that I had two little babies, um, 
And they said, well, I should be encouraging you instead of me encouraging you encouraging me because my kids are grown and you have two babies to take care of. And this kept happening. And I started asking God, I said, what is this? Why am I meeting all these widows? I guess that's how the next chapter Widows Ministry was birthed. Mary co-founded the group with her friend Sheila. Over the years, their community of widows has grown to more than 200 members who stay connected via phone, social media, and events. Mary and Sheila also started a weekly podcast tailored to the unique needs of those who have lost a spouse. My co-founder, Sheila, she was researching in ways that we could uh, help the widows, ways that we could support them even more than what we were doing before. And that's, she came across this blog talk show and she told me about it. And I said that that was a great thing because we could reach them on a weekly basis because most of the widows are, they do not sleep at night. And this blog talk show, we decided to do it at night instead of during the day. And we decided to do it at 10 uh, p.m. And that was a perfect time for most of them um, trying to get to sleep. And with us starting this blog talk show with spiritual messages, this could help them maybe to uh, be, be embraced and giving words of wisdom, uh, words of encouragement to help them to sleep better. Grief can have profound effects on sleep. A lot of people struggle to fall asleep, struggle to stay asleep, maybe sleep enough but still feel exhausted. A lot of people find nighttime especially hard. We tend to use busyness during the day to avoid having to think too much. And so when things get quiet outside, things can get loud inside our heads. There's a tendency to ruminate on things, think about all the what-ifs and the whys and how will I make it forward through this. Especially if you lived with a person who died, their absence may feel more pronounced at night. It's tough because sleep is critical to physical and emotional health. So it can become a bit of a vicious cycle with grief complicating sleep and lack of sleep complicating grief. If it's problematic and ongoing, it might be a good time to consult your doctor or a therapist to work through some of the issues that are causing that sleeplessness. In 2021, we had such a large number of widows who joined our ministry because that was during the pandemic. That was during the pandemic. And they felt alone because really they could not be around their family. So a lot of them were alone at home. So it was really good for them to be a part of us. Mary and her family also stayed connected to their National Fallen Firefighters community. Mary's daughter, Alexia, and son, Alan, both benefited from foundation scholarships. It's just another way to connect to their father, Al, who often told kids in their neighborhood or near the fire station to work on their grades and become good citizens. I didn't realize all the things that he did talk to them about, about their grades. Every time they would get good grades, he would always give them some funds to say, you did great, you did great. So they always, he rewarded them with uh, some money to just give them encouragement to continue to do that. 
The foundation offers financial assistance for post-secondary education and training to spouses like partners, children, and stepchildren who have firefighters honored at the memorial. The scholarships are awarded for undergraduate and graduate studies. They can be in-state, out-of-state, schools, private schools, and applicants can receive up to five scholarships from the foundation. We have been able to award over $5 million in scholarships since 1997. That's 1,480 scholarships. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about our scholarship program. The last couple of years, we've enhanced the program. We've gotten more funding from different sponsors and partners. We've been able to award full scholarships the last couple of years, which we haven't been able to do for a while. Mary edited a book of essays written by her next chapter, Widows, and wrote a widow's manual. She shared some of her storytelling tips in a workshop called We All Have a Story to Tell at the Foundation's Virtual Wellness Conference. What I really remember was how encouraging Mary was to those newer to grief and how brave she was in trying out this new format. We were really missing in-person events, and people appreciated being able to see one another's faces. We joked a lot on those early calls about how we were all going to make mistakes. We were all learning it together. Someone's dog was going to bark, and someone's internet was going to drop, and it was all just fine. You know, if your kid runs into the room, it's... It's been a really nice thing that we've been able to see people kind of in their home environment and just relax a little bit about those boundaries we have in place. Definitely one of the things that is positive that has come out of the pandemic is the use of virtual platforms to connect people across the country. And though she retired from the bank in December 2019, Mary's making more connections than ever. I have a passion for encouraging widows and others who have lost a special loved one. That's my new job. I've always had that job, but this is my full-time job. It's more being there for widows and others who have lost a special loved one and my children, as well as the grandkids. I, I do a lot with my grandkids. So um, that's very, that gives me happiness because I am doing something positive to help someone else. It is so important to be connected, really, to a support group, to be honest with you. Um, And also uh, being connected with people that knows how you feel and what you're going through. And the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation has displayed that. They're there for us. And that connection has really helped me and my children in every way have supported us with uh, financial information, uh, family resources, receiving those cards every June 9th. Those families look forward to getting those cards. And let me tell you, if they move and they forget to send us their address, <laughs> we um, we hear it. They, they know right away, update my information in your database because that is something they look forward to. And you see them thanking each other on Facebook and They'll send us, thank you, thank you, I got my card. So they're important. And like I said, we're not going to forget. So those remembrance cards, that program's going to keep on going. And it's so wonderful because all the families say, I want to volunteer to write cards. They want to write cards. Some of them want to write cards every month, every month. Even after 31 years, receiving that card from the foundation, knowing that they're still there, and even though I've my children and I have gotten through this journey and we don't we don't hurt 
Uh, we are not emotional like we used to, but just still receiving those cards, this means such uh, a great deal to all of us. Mary Hollis and her co-founder, Sheila Coley, celebrated the 19th anniversary of the Next Chapter Widow's Ministry at an event in Georgia in September 2022. On the next episode of Grief in Progress, we'll hear from an aunt who stepped up to help care for her nieces and nephews when their fire hero mom died in the line of duty. Carol Chisholm and niece Laurel Van Auken talk about intergenerational loss and the importance of family traditions in staying connected. Thank you for listening to the Grief in Progress podcast, a production of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a positive review. For transcripts and other episode extras, visit griefinprogress.com. To learn more about the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, visit firehero.org. <laughs>